Well, if you were going to write a note of thanks to Heather Hills Baptist Church, what would you write? If you were to take out a piece of paper right now and write a note of thanks to this church family, what would you write on it? You know, it was the common practice of Paul's day to start a letter by naming the author, naming the recipients of the letter, give some sort of prayer to the gods, and then go into the main content of the letter. The Apostle Paul followed this format in his letters, but instead of, of course, making prayers to the gods, um, he would often give some kind of prayer of thanksgiving to the one and only God. In fact, every single one of his letters that he wrote to the churches includes a word of thanks, except one, to the church at Galatian. Uh, Galatia, the church of the Galatians. And if you read the book of Galatians, you may imagine why he didn't have a lot of thanksgiving uh, when he started that one. But, um, but listen to what Paul says to these various churches. Let me just give you a quick overview. You ready? Romans 1.8. First, I thank my God through, Christ, through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. What a wonderful thing. Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Hmm. Love that to be said about us. Philippians 1, 3 to 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Colossians 1, 3 and 4. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Great words of commendation. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 and 3. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And 2 Thessalonians 1, 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Pretty sweet words, aren't they? You know, if I was going to write a letter to Heather Hills, a note of thanks to God, I'd probably mention specific people in whom I am seeing God work through His Word. I'd probably mention the ministry efforts of a Bible study or a prayer meeting or the mom house or a church committee. I'd mention the, the evangelistic efforts uh, that, that, are, that, that, that people are doing in sharing 
the, the words of the gospel with their neighbors and co-workers and, and fellow students. Uh, I, I talk about those who are building up the body by encouraging men and women. I'd probably use some of your names. But listen to Paul's words to the Corinthian church in verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. And he goes on. Now that sounds nice, right? Very much like Paul. But what is missing? He doesn't mention anything that the Corinthians are doing or being. He doesn't say anything about their faith or their love like he does to so many of the other churches. In fact, of all all of the great blessings that he's going to describe in our verses this morning, verses 4 through 9, all of them are done to the Corinthians, not by the Corinthians. That should get our attention, shouldn't it? God has richly blessed the Corinthians. We'll see that this morning. But what have they done with those blessings? How have they stewarded them? How is their faith growing? How is their love for one another being evidenced? Well, as one fellow once said, we got trouble, friends, right here in Corinth. And we'll get into it properly in next week's text. But Paul finishes his opening comments in this letter on a positive note. God has been faithful to this church. This church that Paul spent 18 months of his life getting established, as we looked at a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 18. And as we look over these six verses this morning, I want to highlight this morning four aspects in particular of God's faithfulness that we discover in this text and for which Paul was thankful and for which we can be thankful for as well. First of all, God is faithful in making much of his son in making much of his son. As we read over these six verses, you heard it again and again, almost every verse, the name of Christ is mentioned. Very similar to last week, wasn't it? In fact, in the first ten verses of this letter, Jesus Christ is referred to ten times, more than any other letter in the Bible, in the opening sections. It's everywhere. Verse 4, the grace of God given to the Corinthians in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, they're enriched in every way in Him. The testimony is confirmed among them. That testimony, verse 6, is about Christ. They live their lives, verse 7, waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the faithful God is the one who has called us into the fellowship of His Son, verse 9. Who is that Son? Jesus Christ our Lord. This prayer is saturated 
with Jesus. We've had reason to see some saturation lately, haven't we? All the rain. You go outside and step on the grass and it's squishy because the, the grass is permeated with water. This section is squishy with Jesus Christ. It's everywhere. In, in fact, look at, the, look at those bookends in verse 4 and then verse 9, the, the, the front and the end of this section. Both of them give special emphasis to the union that the believer has with Jesus. Verse 4 tells us we are in Christ Jesus. The grace of God was given in Christ Jesus. He is filled, God is filled with grace toward us because of our union with his son. Look down at the other end of the passage, verse 9. Slightly different language, but the same idea. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship. The word fellowship there is, uh, is the word that, um, that you've probably heard sometimes before. The original language, it's koinonia, fellowship. And, and the, uh, the idea means to participate or to share or to have communion with each other. And, and what are we having communion or participating in? His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So God's call to us in the preaching of the gospel, the good news which all of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, you came into contact with the hearing of the good news of Jesus Christ at some point in your life, and that brought you out of darkness and into light, from death to life. You were men and women in Adam, right? As Paul says in Romans, now you are men and women in Jesus. And, and there... In Jesus, we have fellowship. We have communion with Him. To be a Christian at all is to be a man or a woman who is in Christ. We're united. And everything else in our whole Christian life in some way or another is really a celebration of that connection to Jesus. Our union with Jesus. So the grace that we receive, we receive in Christ. The testimony that's confirmed among us in this text that, that sustains us all the way to the end is a testimony about Christ. And what we long for, our final destiny, is the revealing of Jesus Christ. Paul directs our gaze up and away to Jesus. We're in Him. We're united to Him. Everything that has to do with us has to do with him we're inseparably bound together in his life paul says we wait for him we're waiting for him maybe you've been coming to church for years and you've missed this maybe you come to church because you're looking for comfort maybe you come because you're looking for some kind of a sense of wholeness or completeness in your life. Maybe you're just looking for human companionship, people to talk to, friends who love you. Maybe church for you is really all about finding place in a community. And I hope that you find all of those things here. But listen, brothers and sisters, listen carefully. 
If that's all you're looking for, you're not yet a Christian. Christians, wherever, whatever they can find in the church, have found something infinitely more satisfying, infinitely more precious in Jesus. A Christian is someone who is in Christ. He is, as one song says, our all in all. So Paul's prayer here directs our attention to him. Do you see that? Isn't that clear? He's everywhere in this text. Friend, he's asking you the most important question today that anyone could ever ask you. Are you in Christ? Do you have Jesus? Or maybe better put, does Jesus have you? God is making much of his son in this opening section, and rightly so. Everything is because of him. Everything else that Paul's going to share with the Corinthians, how wonderfully rich the grace of God is toward them, all of that is only because they are in Jesus. So God shows us that he is faithful in making much of his son and our union with him. Another way God shows us that he is faithful, secondly, to the Corinthians and to us, is in gifting us his grace. In gifting us his grace. Look at the text carefully. Look at verse 4, 5, and then we'll take out that little parentheses section there. We'll come back to it in verse 6. Just read verse 4, 5, and 7 together. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in, in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift. The grace of God that was given to them in Christ has a very particular result that Paul wants to emphasize here. It has produced in them gifts, spiritual gifts, especially in the areas of speech and knowledge. In fact, Paul's going to devote three whole chapters of this letter, chapters 12, 13, and 14, to talking more about this area of spiritual gifts. And these are two rich blessings that the Lord has lavishly poured out on them in his grace. These will be a problem for the Corinthians later. We'll see. It will get them into some trouble. They, they, they've come out of balance really quickly. Uh, they've, be, they've become infected with, with the values of their old way, their old paganism that loved secret knowledge. And um, they began to use their gifts that God had given them in his grace for promoting themselves, for lifting themselves up, for claiming that their unique gifts made them special, allowing them to put other people down. And Paul will have to deal with that firmly, and he will. But for now, he simply gives thanks that God was enriching the life of this church with these gifts of grace. 
To be a Christian is not only to be in Christ, but to be a Christian is to live enriched by the grace of God. And you and I experience that too, don't we? Actually, the two words here in these verses, gift and grace, they come from the same Greek roots in the original language. The word grace is the word charis, and the word gift is the word charismati. Gifts are gifts of grace. Sometimes, you know, we, we flatter one another. We say, you know, oh, you're so talented. You're so gifted in, in, in a certain thing. And, and, you know, we might be like, you know, kind of puffed up in pride, like, yes, yes, I am. I am so gifted. But understand, understand what Paul is talking about when he's talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about God-given gifts of grace. God gives us the grace we need and the gifts that he requires so that the whole church is equipped for ministry and building up one another so we could be encouraged and strengthened in our faith and pointed back to Christ. Spiritual gifts don't come from us. You don't have spiritual gifts because you're so great and because you've developed them on your own and... It's all your giftedness. That's not the way God talks about spiritual gifts. They come from God. So there can't be any boasting when it comes to gifts among God's people in God's church. Everything that we experience, these gifts of grace that he has lavishly poured out on his church, on you, the gifts that you have, those gifts are all from Him. And not only all from Him, they're all for Him. God is faithful in richly blessing His people with these grace gifts. He did it to the Corinthians. And He has done it to Heather Hills too. And we can be thankful. There's a third expression of God's faithfulness in this text, and I think it's found in, in His sustaining us with His Word. That's thirdly. In sustaining us with His Word. So now we're going to come back to that little section we just skipped over, that little parentheses, the one with the little dashes around it in verse 6. Let's put that back in. In the middle of all this talk about spiritual gifts, Paul says that God's grace worked in their lives, verse 6, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. The testimony about Christ is another way of speaking about the faithful ministry of the Word. The faithful testimony about Christ. It is as the Word of God permeates us soaks into us, takes roots in our hearts. That's when grace enriches us and equips us with everything good for doing God's will. Christian faithfulness and Christian 
fruitfulness are both the products of the ministry of the Word of God. The testimony about Christ being confirmed among us. And and that's a point that Paul really wants to drive home a little further. Notice in verse 6, that word confirmed, and then drop down to verse 8, and notice the word sustain. Those two words are the same words in the original language. So in verse 8, we have a wonderful promise. Drop down there for a moment. God will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? We're going to make it. We're going to make it. You're going to make it. Isn't that good news? You're going to be sustained all the way to the end. Some days we might wonder, right? Are we going to make it? I don't feel very righteous today. I don't feel very guiltless today. But we're going to make it. God will do it. That's why. God will sustain us. That's why we'll make it. Not because we will sustain us. How will he do it? How will we get there? Well, as I just mentioned, the word sustain and the word confirm are the same word. They both describe the effect of the word of God in our hearts. God will do it. He will sustain us as that word is confirmed among us, as the testimony about Jesus takes hold of our hearts. Heather Hills, do you love your Bible? Don't neglect the word. If you've fallen out of the pattern of regularly reading and meditating and memorizing and studying the word of God, go back. It's, it, it is as the word has its way in us that God uses that to preserve our lives and to preserve his church to sustain us all the way to the end. Would you pray with me in 2022 that the preaching of the Word of God, wherever it takes place, in this pulpit, in our Bible studies, one to another, that God would awaken in all of us a hunger for the Word of God this year. That the testimony about Jesus would be confirmed among us. Verified among us. What might God do, brothers and sisters, if we gave ourselves to pleading with Him for the Scriptures to grab onto our hearts? I'd like to find out. Wouldn't you? God will sustain us all the way to the end. The Word of God is so important in this work that He's doing in us. He's faithful. He's faithful in pointing us to the Lord Jesus. He's faithful 
in giving us gifts through his grace. He's faithful in sustaining us through his word. And then there's a fourth and final aspect of his faithfulness, I think, in the text, at least, that we can see. And it's this, in pointing our eyes ahead and above. In pointing our eyes ahead and above. Some of us tend to live in the past. We have difficulty getting over yesterday or yesteryear or yesterdecade. Some of us live predominantly in the now. We're constantly in the moment. We're constantly being driven by whatever is urgent around us. And we're often caught off guard when tomorrow comes. But the Christian life, make no mistake, the Christian life is future-oriented. Look at verse 7. Paul's saying, God has enriched you by His grace in Jesus with spiritual gifts. God's Word is at work confirming you, sustaining you. He's doing all of these things in the lives of the Corinthians, right? He's going to sustain you all the way to the end, verse 8. But what are the Corinthians supposed to do while all of this is happening? Verse 7. You wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You keep your eyes fixed on the finish line. Brothers and sisters, one day, the Lordship of Jesus Christ is going to be on full display. And every eye will see Him. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that He is Lord. It's a great day, right? This, here and now, today, March 6th, this is the waiting room on this side of eternity. This isn't home. When Christ comes, that's home. That's where we're going. That's where we belong. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're longing for. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. So as we wait, our eyes are fixed on the horizon. We're waiting for Jesus to return. We're waiting for that trumpet to blow. You know, um, uh, many of you have suffered in recent days and months the loss of someone close. You all know I have as well. And I've used the expression many times that as someone goes home to glory, heaven gets sweeter. And it does. Because we know that this separation, that this grief is not forever for those that are in Christ. We know that we will be with those people again. And we long for that. I long for that. I long for the day 
I can be with my dad again. I long for it. But brothers and sisters, do we long to be with Jesus? I'm convicted by that thought. So many days I go through the motions and I don't look for him. I don't think he could come back today. It doesn't motivate the way I live, the way I hope. And it should. Do you long for heaven? And not just the people that are already there ahead of us. Do you long for Jesus? Do you love him with all your hearts? This world is not our home. Don't get too comfortable here. Don't get too settled here. Don't put your roots down too deep here. We're just passing through. Paul reminds the Corinthians that God has done some amazing things for them. He's done these amazing things for us too. We can rejoice in them. We can be thankful for them. But we have to be responsible for them too. We have to steward these wonderful blessings. And hopefully we can do it better than the Corinthians did. I'm going to invite the praise team to come on up. We'll get ready for our final songs and the leadership team if they'll come and prepare for the Lord's table. Now as these people are moving, um, let me just hold your attention for just a few moments. I want to ask... One more question to think about as we close. With what you know about the letter of 1 Corinthians, were the Corinthians guilty of anything? Oh, man. Were they ever? Lots of stuff. We'll get into it starting next week. So then why does verse 8... Call them guiltless. Paul's about to unload on these people. Why does he call them guiltless? Because they are, right? In Christ, they are. His righteousness has been credited to their account. We call that the doctrine of justification, right? It's pretty amazing, right? I mean, if we look at the record of faithlessness in this letter, the Corinthians haven't got a chance before the judgment seat of Christ. Not a chance. Sexual sin, suing one another, divisiveness, even messing up the Lord's table. Bad stuff. How can they be guiltless? How can they be guiltless? Paul said it to Timothy this way in 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains what? Faithful. As messed up as we are, 
as messed up as the Corinthians were, how can we make it all the way to the end and still be saved? Because God is faithful. Not because you and I are faithful. Because he is faithful. Can you see yourself in these opening verses in the Corinthian church? The truth is everyone in this room is guilty before God. But only those in Christ, in Christ, in Christ are declared guiltless. That should be a great comfort to Christians whose souls are getting beat up every day by our sinful desires, by the world around us. It should also help us to see how pride and divisiveness have no place in the Christian family in Corinth or in Indianapolis. Instead of complaining and arguing, we, brothers and sisters, should be overflowing with thankfulness that God would even pluck us from the fire and set us on a course for heaven. We should be thankful that we get to do life with lots of other people who have similarly been rescued by God. And we should be all about building them up, not tearing them down. That's what the Corinthians did. They were tearing each other down. May that not be true in our lives. May that not be true in our church. This is how God's grace helps us to mature in purity and unity. And it's only because of Him. But friend, if you're here this morning and you feel Christ trying to get a hold of your heart, maybe for the first time, we'd love to talk to you further about that and show you from the Bible how you can become His more importantly, how he can become yours. Just in a few moments when our service concludes and we move to our small groups, our ABF and Sunday school classes, I'd encourage you, if the Lord is gripping your heart this morning, trying to get a hold of you, would you stay for just a few moments? Slip over to our prayer room over here to your left in the corner cubicle there of the building where a Bible counselor can sit down and show you how you can become a follower of Jesus Christ. We'd love to take the time to show you that. Let's stand out, stand out together, brothers and sisters. Let's close with a song of response, a song to the great faithfulness of our God because it's only by His grace that we're going to make it to the end. And we praise Him for that.